Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, August 25th, 2015, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-host for the evening, Anastasia. Lavendar is traveling home from Arkansas tonight, and she'll be back with us next week. Our eighth crystal quest to Arkansas is October 11th through 17th, 2015, and we're gathering members of the Crystal Soul Group to participate. This group is identified by having at least one of these six star markings on your chart, either 25, 26, or 27 degrees of Capricorn or Cancer, Aquarius or Leo, Taurus or Scorpio. We have a few spots still available, so if you feel the call of the crystals but aren't sure if you have the required star markings, just send an email to crystals at starseedhotline.com with your birth info. Make sure you include the exact time, date, place of your birth, as well as your current location, and I'll take a quick look at your charts to see if you're part of this soul family and send you more details if you are. We have several shows in our archives entitled Crystal Quest Stories if you'd like to hear about what the Crystal Quest has meant to others in your soul group. Tonight, we'll hear part two of Conversations from Lavendar's Vault as I interview her on a variety of topics, including Atlantis, the Greek God-Goddess program, Jesus, Mary Magdalene, the Druids, Native Americans, Galactic Trickster, Tesla, ET bloodlines on the planet, and much more. This was first aired in January and has so much information that even if you heard it before, we're sure you'll get even more from another listen. If you missed last week's show due to the technical issue Blog Talk was having, it's been fixed and the show is now available where we went into great depth about the crystal star markings and the grand design going all the way back to Atlantis. At the top of the show, it's the Starseed News with Anastasia, bringing topics of interest to star seeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Vanya and Fiona for hosting the switchboard this evening. We have an online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and thanks go to Tammy, as always, for her dedication to the forum. You can download our show podcasts on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page. Just look for the cloud with an arrow on it. If you'd like to support our show, just click follow on our page here at Blog Talk and you'll get our weekly show notices. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions <clears throat> excuse me, for people and pets are also available with Tammy. If you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with the Starseed News. Well, good evening, Ariel. Good evening, Starseed listeners. It's great to be with you. Am I on the air this evening? Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> yes, I was kind of <laughs> on pins and needles myself. As I mentioned, we had some problems um, 
last week with blog talk, and uh, no one could hear me. So I was just like... That was an adventure. (laughs) (laughs) So it looks like everything's been fixed. So take it away, Anastasia. Yeah, this world's just a great place when everything works like it should. We love that. Yeah. Well, if I'm a little hoarse tonight, it's just because of a little bit of sinus trouble. You know, I do live in the part of the country that has a lot of moisture and mold, so if I need to uh, take a drink of water, I'll just do that. And if I begin to sound hoarse, just bear with me, okay, everybody? Well, I want to talk about the home... Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> want to talk about the sun to start off. Uh, there's a pair of CMEs that was expected to each reach Earth yesterday, but it didn't arrive here on time. Uh, scientists are saying this means that these flares are slower and less potent than they expected them to be. Now, the primary cores of AR2430, which is a sunspot, are as large as our entire planet. Photographs posted on the Internet showed the, uh, a comparison of the Earth up next to the sun, and this sunspot could absolutely swallow the Earth. I just want to remind everybody how immense and enormous the sun is. The, the Earth's just a little dot up against it. It's amazing. And uh, they say you can see these uh, sunspots because they're so big with a backyard telescope. Anyway, that sunspot today is 25% bigger than it was yesterday. And they say that this sunspot has a beta-gamma-delta magnetic field that does harbor energy for strong explosions naturally. And NOAA forecasters are estimating a 65% chance of M-class flares today and a 10% chance of X-class flares. They say that any eruptions will most surely be geoeffective, meaning it will probably interfere with radio transmissions, particularly on the shortwave band. Well, in Nepal, uh, India, uh, and in Delhi, uh, there was a magnitude 5.1 earthquake. Uh, I think that was today. Set tremors were felt in several parts of India after that earthquake hit. No, I'm sorry, it wasn't today. It was on Sunday. Uh, they say that uh, this was uh, 5.1 on the Richter scale. They noted that the earthquake magnitude was 5.0, according to the USGS, so that's just a small difference between 5.0 and 5.1 different organizations testing that magnitude, but anyway, it's close enough. We'll just go for 5.1. That's what they said in India. Anyway, it caused people to rush out of their homes, and that was felt in widespread areas all across India, at least in that region. And in Honolulu, Hawaii, boy, everybody has always loved Waikiki Beach, but at the moment, nearly 2,000 tons of sewage has polluted Honolulu's renowned Waikiki Beach due to heavy downpour that was brought by the tropical storm Kilo. Now, it's flooded with rainwater, and the local sewer system spilled out onto the streets and drained into the surf. Wastewater erupted in fountains from manholes and streamed down into the ocean through the beach area of the popular destination. Of course, is the home of some of Hawaii's biggest hotels and a lot of tourism. Now, the, the beach is closed now. That beach is about five miles long. Uh, that's a big stretch of beach, and warning signs have been posted. Uh, police and lifeguards are turning visitors away. They're saying, don't go into the water, don't even touch the water, don't touch the beach. Get in a serious infection, get very sick, or maybe even worse, they say. They don't know what's in the water, and to a certain extent, they say the problem was caused by local people who tried opening manholes to redirect upcoming stormwater into the sewage system to prevent homes and cars from flooding. They say, but nevertheless, 
large quantities of rainwater did overwhelm the sewage system. Now, the last time a similar incident took place, when I wouldn't even think that was recent, but they said it happened in 2006, because heavy rains uh, uh, allowed 180,000 tons of of sewage to pour into Waikiki's canal that was bordering hotels and homes. And again, that led to the closure of the beach in those years. Well, you know, it seems to me if government did its job and that had happened before and it was the same sewage system, somebody might have come up with a way to fix that. Wouldn't you imagine? I look at pictures of Hawaii today and I'm astonished at how really populated it is. It is so, so full of people. Years ago, many years ago, it was just kind of a nice little getaway. But that's a lot of people in a lot of sewers and somebody's not tending the store. Anyway, um, just word for the wise, if you plan on a trip to Hawaii in the next few days, be advised. I'm sure that all of that information will be posted. Well, we often talk about the earthquakes going on across uh, our country and across the planet on this show, just like we just mentioned in India, but scientists at the Nevada Seismological Laboratory say that there has been a swarm of more than 5,700 earthquakes in northwestern Nevada since last July, and they include 21 4.0 tremblers, and they've just had swarm after swarm. Um, they say that the magnitude 5.0 was the largest. They had some fours and a bunch of threes, and it's, uh, they say that kind of swarm activity is rare anywhere you find it. And they believe that the swarm is uh, below an antelope preserve, and they're studying this earthquake behavior because it's pretty well isolated. They say that more than 200 earthquakes have been measured in the Sheldon National Wildlife Refuge since, since last July. So also, uh, according to the USGS, two quakes measuring 7.2 big, and 6.7 rattled northern Nevada, east of Fallon, on two different faults within four minutes of each other. So in that area, it had two earthquakes in the previous six months. So there's a lot going in the, on in Nevada, lots of quakes. Don't know really what it is, but they're looking at it. And in Papua New Guinea, an intensifying El Nino, they say, may bring the worst drought in 20 years to Papua New Guinea and it's raising fears that the production of the country's uh, agricultural commodities may drop. Now, dry weather has gripped much of that region in recent months, <clears throat> and they're worried about their coffee crops. <clears throat> they say that it has a potential to be the worst drought in 15 years, and they've declared a state of emergency. So that's what's going on in New Guinea. And in Washington State, the state of Washington is battling its largest wildfire on record, they say. Largest wildfire on record. The flames have devoured more than 1,000 kilometers. I don't know how much footage that is. This comes, or, um, square miles, that is. This comes from Euronews, by the way, and so that's why they're using the metric system in this article. I didn't see any mention of this in local national news. I mean, you might have heard of it elsewhere, but as I did my research, this came out of Europe. Anyway, to back up and repeat, <laughs> the flames have devoured more than 1,000 square kilometers of land, burning over 200 homes and threatening thousands more. Dozens of wildfires are currently roaring across parts of the western United States, including California, Oregon, and Idaho, and firefighters from Australia and New Zealand have volunteered to help the 32,000 United States crews already in the field. That is a lot of wow. fighting fire. Yeah, they're calling them in internationally. 
Well, here's a really interesting story. Green Med Info sent me an email about this, and, and this has also kind of been uh, circulating around through different news outlets. This came from The Independent in the U.K., and this is about ants and about self-medication and about maybe an example to human beings. But scientists have shown that ants that have a life-threatening fungus are able to self-medicate themselves, eating a normally harmful substance that treats their condition. Now, this form of self-medication in insects has been suspected in research circles, but has never been proven until now, and it's raising questions about how the ant knows it's sick. Well, isn't it funny all that science, for all that it knows, doesn't know anything about consciousness? Remember, animals are supposed to be dumb, so now they're scratching their heads to figure out how ants happen to know that they're sick. But anyway, on with the story. Researchers at the University of Helsinki in Finland have shown that the ants infected with a certain fungus choose to eat small doses of hydrogen peroxide, which is proven to reduce their deaths by at least 15%. Now, the fact that most healthy ants give hydrogen peroxide a wide berth, since it usually causes a 20% mortality rate, appears to show that sick ants realize that the poison, and under normal circumstances, would help them recover from this fungus. To quote one scientist, he said, it is not known yet how ants know they are infected, but it's very clear that they do somehow change their behavior and eat what they need to eat once they know they are sick. Amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, in British Columbia, uh, the BC Oil and Glass, uh, Gas Commission is investigating the cause of a 4.6 magnitude earthquake earlier this week that triggered the shutdown of a major fracking operation just a few miles away. Now, the earth tra- earthquake struck. Um, they're expecting that fracking is the exact cause of the earthquake. The earthquake. Uh, The fracking caused the earthquake, and the earthquake caused the fracking operation to be shut down. You know, with all of this news right now circulating that fracking causes earthquakes, where is everybody to really maybe take a look at that and put a stop to it? Probably won't, but there is a tremendous amount of evidence that this is damaging uh, the the planet in that way. Another story out of uh, uh, the Internet is about chimpanzees, and everybody thinks that chimps are not so smart, you know, that they're way behind homo sapiens, that we are way ahead of them. Well, that's pretty obvious. We are ahead of them. But now they're discovering that chimpanzees may be even smarter than we even thought they were. According to a fascinating report from the BBC, archaeologists in Africa, South America, and Southeast Asia have been digging up crude stone tools that date back thousands of years, tools that were fashioned by non-human primates. Chimpanzees and monkeys have been making tools. Researchers say, and I quote, the tools are crude. A chimpanzee or monkey stone hammer is hardly a work of art to rival the beauty of an ancient human hand axe. (laughs) Sounded a little egotistical there, but Mm -hmm. humans are so much superior. But anyway, he said that's not the point. These primates have developed a culture that makes routine use of stone-based technology. The monkeys and chimpanzees have developed a culture that makes routine use of stone-based technology. And this means they have entered the Stone Age. Is that wild? 
Wow. Oh, yeah. and, and now we know where monkey wrenches come from. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't quick. help myself. Aria, you, are, you are so quick. That was outstanding. <laughs> oh, you should be on Saturday Night Live. That's great. I guess that isn't airing anymore. Well, um, leaves of the European chestnut tree contain ingredients with the power to disarm dangerous staph bacteria without boosting its drug resistance. Scientists have discovered this. You know, antibiotics that treat staph um, are often overwhelmed because the staph adapt to the, to the uh, medication. Well, PLOS One is publishing the study of a chestnut leaf extract, which is rich in ursine and olean derivatives, that blocks Staphylococcus aureus virulence and pathogenesis without detectable resistance. Now, the use of chestnut leaves in traditional folk remedies inspired this research. And this is not the only story like this I brought to you. We had one just a week or two ago about folk medicine inspiring research. Scientists are wanting to prove or disprove whether or not the old herbal remedies are effective. So far, it's proving that, that they are. They are very effective. They say this botanical extract works. By taking away staph's weapons, it shuts off the ability of the bacteria to create toxins. And it's those toxins that cause tissue damage. In other words, they're learning that this chestnut tree takes the teeth out of the bacteria's bite. Isn't that cool? Wow. Now we go yeah. back to herbal yeah. medicine. Let's do it, people, because that is how people survived for so, so many years, way before pharmaceuticals began pushing chemicals on us. Well, we covered a story a week or so ago about that EPA spill uh, that contaminated water out west. Well, here's a little bit of a follow-up, um, an old follow-up, but it's since we uh, had the original story. Um, farmers in Shiprock, New Mexico, the Navajos there, say that the tankers that arrived with their hydration for their crops uh, that was shipped by the FDA, by the way, contained water that smelled like petroleum. It was visibly discolored and had an odd sheen to it, like a petroleum sheen. The uh, farm people said the barrels weren't clean. They were from oil drilling operations. Now, these deliveries of water were intended to help the crops that were wilting in the sun after the spill of the Gold King Mine in Colorado earlier this month and uh, that contaminated the San Juan, San Juan River downstream. The EPA uh, studied that water, but it did take them 10 days after the spill until they uh, released the studies. Well, the farmers have been very upset. They have not received one clean gallon of water from the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, which is, as you know, uh, that's the agency that took responsibility for the Animus River spill. People are saying they just don't understand it. There are about 450 farmers in the Shiprock area, and that's the agricultural hub of the Navajo Nation. Navajo Nation uh, authorities do not agree uh, with the EPA about the viability of the water that they ship to them. They don't really know what to do, but they said if they didn't get water soon, their crops were going to be at a critical stage. Well, an update uh, shortly after, uh, the EPA came out and said that the water for the Navajo Nation came from uh, uh, a contracting company that the EPA hired to ship the water. They said the company met state and federal standards, but that company also is known to haul fluids to and from oil fields. So, another botched job. Spoil the river, threaten the wildlife, threaten the crops, offer to send water to help, 
but it's contaminated water. Well, here's an encouraging story. Two former debt collectors finally quit their business. I guess they got a neck full of bullying people. And they turned around, and now they buy and forgive medical debt. Two men named Jerry and Craig spent decades hounding debtors to pay their bills until an offshoot of the Occupy Wall Street movement inspired them to find a way to pay struggling people's debts. Wow, what a turnaround. Yeah. One man worked in the debt collections business for more than 30 years. And as he learned about its tactics, he was moved to start his own consulting firm with the goal of keeping people out of collections. He said the industry treated debts as commodities and sold them for a profit while the debtors struggled to pay off the amount. He said it was unconscionable. So he was inspired to rethink debt altogether by the Occupy Wall Street movement and its offshoot, which was Strike Debt, started by the Rolling Jubilee in October uh, 2012. Or, excuse me, yeah, that's right, the Rolling Jubilee was a program that began buying debt and abolishing it in October 2012. They have paid off a great number of debt for a lot of people, and the comments of people who get phone calls that saying, are you here to collect because I don't have the money? <clears throat> the caller on the other end of the phone is saying, well, your $950 hospital bill has been paid. You never have to worry about it again. And people are just speechless. So here's a case of someone who was doing something that probably served the system and abused many helpless people that really didn't have the money to pay their debts and turned around and began paying their debts for them. They have crowds, uh, crowdfunding for this where people can make donations to assist. And the founders' ideas, these two men said that they thought the way out of many of our problems was for all of us to to take care of all of us, for everybody to chip in to help everybody else. Isn't that lovely? I think that's just beautiful. I love it. A rare story in today's world. It sure is. And uh, last for tonight... uh, about uh, a a story out of the Daily Mirror in the U.K. Now, this is something that you're going to have to go to YouTube to see. But there are videos that show three UFOs moving past the surface of the moon. Yes, indeed. There is a remarkable series of videos that appear to show three UFOs zooming past the surface of the moon. These dark objects seem to pass close close by, and one of them looks like it's powered by rocket jets. And I examined this on YouTube, and I'll be darned if it doesn't. And according to this story out of the UK, the UFOs were captured by an expert cameraman who spends many days videoing the sky and documents what he's find. Now, his name is C. Rowe, C-R-R-O-W-777. If you want to look that up on YouTube, go right ahead. That's his username. He puts these clips up on YouTube, and he claims that he doesn't post any hoax footage. And on one clip he says, I'm not saying this is an alien, but it is a ship being intelligently controlled. The objects are not satellites because they take almost a minute to pass the moon's surface. Man-made objects orbiting the Earth would take just a few seconds, he claims. Everything is in high definition, and it's shot through an 8-inch telescope. He says, I make a pledge to all my subscribers on my channel to never uh, run false or deceptive clips, and I will never edit the clips in a way that is deceptive. He said, what you see is what I've observed 
my cameras and in telescopes. Now, many people watching these videos have been very impressed with the footage, so you starseed listeners, get on YouTube, check that out. Three UFOs moving past the surface of the moon. See what you think. I thought it was pretty interesting. It's so great that someone's doing that. Huh? What's that? It's great that someone's doing that. You, you know, know isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? I don't know if I've mentioned this to Starseed listeners before, but it's really hard to catch things like that. And one night, oh, a number number of years ago, I was out of my driveway with my high-powered binoculars just looking at the moon. It was uh, summer. Uh, the moon was large. It was rising, uh, very large and bright. And I had focused in on it, and I was standing there for just a moment looking through my binoculars at the moon, and I was astonished to see a flash from the surface of the moon that was enormous, uh, a light so bright through my binoculars that it covered the lower 20% of the moon's surface. A flash, an enormous wow. flash. And so there are great mysteries out there, and uh, it, it takes either just perfect timing or someone that's out there mining the skies with their cameras uh, their videos and telescopes to to let us know what's going on because there is a lot of stuff going on up there. That's for sure. We all know that, don't we, Ariel? Yeah. That's a fact. <laughs> all right. Well, I wish all you Starseed listeners beautiful peace in the week ahead. Keep on shining. And tonight's program is going to be just wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. You know, this is stuff that we can't afford to hear. Uh, you know, we need it. We can't hear it too often. There's a lot it, to absorb in tonight's show. There is a lot of information coming up. There years and, and years and years of experience, and many of our listeners are not that familiar with it, and you can hear it over and over. It takes a long time to put all this stuff together and learn about it. Right. I mean, I've <clears throat> I listened to it again um, just earlier this week, and I thought, oh, I don't remember that and i was the one doing the interview absolutely i rest my case exactly there's always something something new that you didn't hear before Um, yeah that's right well i love you all and we'll talk next week we love you too anastasia thank you so much for the starseed news so um just before i i start this interview um i mentioned briefly in the intro that we did have some technical difficulties last week, and um, uh, kudos to Vanya for stepping up and uh, saving the show. And but this has been fixed, and uh, the the dead air has been edited out. So you can hear last week's show if you missed it. Um, just wanted you to know that. So for um, tonight, because Lavendar is is still traveling back home from Arkansas, she won't be with us. But her information is. So with this, I will give you Conversations from Lavender's Vault, Part 2. We had such a huge response from our listeners to Part 1 of Conversations from Lavender's Vault. So we're glad to bring you Part 2 this evening. If you haven't heard Part 1 yet, make sure you go back in our archives to January 6, 2015 and get Part 1. We're going to pick up where we left off with more questions, so Lavendar, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. 
tell us about the Pleiadian Greek God-Goddess program. What was the purpose, and is it still going on? Yes, it's still going on, and I'll have to back up and say that during the time of Atlantis, when the call went out for help with the, the, the conditions of Atlantis, the Pleiadians came with their mighty ships, and they came to help with the decision-making of what should be happening with the giant crystal and, and a lot of other things that were happening uh, in Atlantis. Some of the At Atlanteans uh, did not appreciate the Pleiadians coming, and so some of them were, re they were rebuffed and just told to go away. Others uh, folded them in and said, come and help us. The ones that did not stay took their scout ships and they went to other places on the planet like Egypt and Peru and, and they knew that, that eventually that they would need to set uh, civilizations in, in those countries. So the Pleiadians have been here um, off and on for a very, very long time. They were very involved in what we call the Athena and the 96 bloodline experiments and those had to do with 96 goddesses on the planet. Uh, releasing the bloodline experiments. In other words, the bloodlines that came together were bloodlines that would hold the star C resonant code in the DNA that would help the evolutionary process of the people and the planet. And all this was put together to evolve a root race out of greed and out of destructive tendencies. And this was to maintain a cosmic balance and activate past programs originally seeded from the Pleiadians that have been keeping the evolutionary records of the species going all this time. So the starseed walk-ins and lightworkers all have a purpose to this mission and each have assignments that are encoded into their systems, whether it's bloodlines, implants, or other means of guidance systems. So one of the systems activated is a tapestry coding that seems to call to different groups at different times. Seeking and finding the ones that seem to have the same program seems to be the task at hand, to bring together the codes and activate the people and the planet, and to become involved with certain codings that would have global consequences that will help bridge the gap between Earth and sky. Now, what I have found in these past few years is that the different soul groups seem to have a theme. There seems to be five soul groups that seems to be interconnected with each other. There's Atlantis, there's uh, Athena and the 96, there's the Jesus Mary Magdalene program, there's the Druid program, and then there's the Native American Indian program. Now those, there's more programs than that. I'm just noticing that those five seem to be the five soul groups that, that are intact with one another. In other words, I'll find people that came on a Pleiadian ship to Atlantis, but they'll also ha choose to have lifetimes in the other four groups that I just mentioned. Well, that's why I see so many overlapping patterns. Because any time I see a chart that has the mark of Atlantis, at least half of the time, it's got the mark of Jesus and Mary Magdalene as well. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, the crystal soul group is a is not a separate group. It's it's part from several groups that have is part of this overlap. Yes, I track it that way. Okay, so they're not they're not complete separate individual. They are groups of people that that come together in common purpose. Right. So there could be people from Atlantis 
group, people from the Jesus Mary Magdalene group, they came together and they did work that then resulted in their crystal mastership. So then they're part of more than one group. Right. Okay. After the destruction of Atlantis, a fail-safe system was put in motion with bloodlines so that there would be codings in the DNA that would rise up later and, and the codes would be never again Atlantis. And they coded a lot of people through these different soul groups. But I noticed that the Jesus and Mary Magdalene codings, they seem to be stronger with this message than, than any other of the other codings. Because I find that uh, those 12 years that Jesus went missing, no one knew where he was. Well, he went aboard the starship Bethlehem. He was dropped down many places all over the planet. And he impregnated a lot of women. Now, I know that will be shocking to a lot of people that hear that, but when you stop and think about it, that means that his bloodline is now all over the planet and it's rising up. And the main uh, frequency of it is to bring the, the truth back to the planet about what actually happened with him when he was on the planet and also to activate those that have been through him with him through history of different incarnations. Plus, Never Again Atlantis is the strongest uh, frequency and message because now technologies are on the earth and we want to make sure that we don't blow ourselves up. So if we have enough starseed holding the Jesus bloodline on the planet, then this will be a counterbalance for the other kind of energies that came to Atlantis that destroyed it so long ago. And that is one of the um, areas where the where the Jesus and Mary Magdalene group act, but I, I know that it's also um, other things that the planet is desperately needing that they are uh, working towards as well, you know, healing the planet and the destruction, I mean, the, the damage from the technology and and the return of the feminine. Now, wasn't Atlantis a very balanced society when it comes to masculine and feminine, maybe a little more feminine? Uh, I wouldn't really... It, it was balanced in a, in a way that we can't comprehend because they they were they, they had a lot of androgynous energy in Atlantis so they had beings that had their male and female all in one body and they would um, uh, they could actually uh, have children from themselves I've never really spoken about that before and it's not really a subject that I'm comfortable about talking about except to say that they they had really conducted a lot of genetic experiments in Atlantis. Some they canceled and said, oh, we can't do that anymore. And then others they proceeded with. And the ones that they proceeded with that got in so much trouble was when they crossed the people with animals and made what they call the things. And they became the uh, underground workers for Atlantis. And, of course, when they went into those kinds of genetic experiments, then they started really messing with the laws of creation. And that was one of the reasons for their, for their downfall. Well, that's, that's interference, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a violation, and even to enslave a race, regardless of their scientific abomination or just regular people, enslavement is a violation. So they really had <laughs> they had a lot of bad marks on their on their report card. That's right. Wow. 
So and now how does that tie into the Pleiadian Greek god and goddess program? When they knew that Atlantis was going to go down, they started already planting seeds for the next great civilizations? Yes, well, they had several several civilizations that they were planning, and they they knew they they would have to do a backup system for when technology would come back to the planet. So that's how they designed through the different bloodlines. It wasn't just Jesus' uh, bloodline that they did this with. They did it with other bloodlines that would have the same kind of of frequencies that would rise up and and uh, and take care of anything that was going to harm the people or the planet. It's just that Jesus's bloodline, it was designed to have the the ability of the power of resurrection. That was the main ingredient of that bloodline. In other words, the people that now have those bloodlines, this is where you find most of the healers and and the light workers that are rising up all over the planet and a lot of people are going you know i'm jesus or i jesus talked to me or i'm mary magdalene or something happens where they they uh, um, imagine themselves to be the deity when actually in actuality they're just tuning into the bloodline that they're carrying that has the memory of such i see i see and with the greek civilization um, I, I haven't quite got the chronology in my head, but were the gods and goddesses there first, or did the civilization start and then they came after? Uh, like after the, it had already been um, a, a thriving civilization. Well, after Atlantis, of course, they there was some a long period of time when nothing happened. And then they, they went in and decided to put in programs that would come in many thousands of years later. And I really don't, I don't have at my fingertips the, the chronological order of that. But that's why it was decided that these 96 goddesses would um, take on the, the bloodline experiments because they were going to be the ones that would be tracked the most through the genetic engineering scientists from the starship Bethlehem, which is the ship that was that is that was and still is conducting those experiments and of course they call it the star of bethlehem because it really was it really <laughs> the star, was the star that the wise men followed that's right it was really the the mothership so what is in pleiadian or galactic terms the god goddess are these beings that have evolved to such an extreme point that they, I mean, maybe they, did they start off as Pleiadians and then just kept ascending until they had reached God status? Yes, you might say that. They're, they're very evolved. When you think about um, the evolution of other species, the Pleiadians are 3,500 years ahead of us in technologies and consciousness. So it's kind of hard to take our consciousness and and get our minds wrapped around their consciousness because there's no way to really interface that. So what has to happen is that in our understanding, we have to grow to know that we're carrying in our blood and in our past life patterns energies that have been extended to us from, say, the Pleiadians because they're the ones that have been helping us throughout our different incarnations. 
they're kind of the the seed race right now on the we have a lot of different other species but the Pleiadians they have the most at stake on the planet they have more bloodlines running on the planet and their experiments than anybody else it's his third turn it's third time to take back some of the souls that came to the planet they will be gathering a lot of their people and taking them home at some point and there's been a lot of ships that have come and gone uh, back and forth between the Pleiades and Earth especially during the times of Pleiadian lineup and that's November 17th 18th and 19th and, and May 17th 18th and 19th although I see that it starts from the 15th to the 20th of each of each November and May and it seems as though that during these times that they do the readouts and they keep checking on the progress of the people and the planet. And it's how they're keeping up with how we're evolving and the help that they can give us next. You know, they can't really interfere and give us the exact uh, formulas to things, but they can, they can stimulate us into remembering that we knew it once. And once we've known it, it means that it's ours and that we can only be maybe tricked into remembering it again <laughs> somehow. And that's why inventions and formulas come about. And like I said before, they send it to a thousand, a hundred pick it up, ten run with it, but only one really gets to do it. And when I say it that way, I'm talking about only one person can be an inventor for, say, the computer or finding out something for a disease. Mm-hmm. So, a group, like there were 96 goddesses, were there also gods that came as well, male entities as opposed to female? There were only two gods that were playing during the time of Athena and the 96. There was Yahweh and there was Jehovah. And they were brothers. And Yahweh, if you notice in the Bible that they talk of the God of love and peace. And then in the Old Testament, you'll be hearing about the God of war and the God of revenge, and, and that's Jehovah. So there were two gods. So to answer to your question, when the 96 goddesses were placed on the planet, we did not have 96 gods to match them, no. What about Zeus and Apollo and you know Hermes? Were they gods? They had already left they were already gone during this period of time. They had already been here and they were already gone. The last to leave was Athena. I see. They had already been here and they had already conducted all of their experiences. And of those 96 goddesses, they put their bloodline and these were Pleiadians in human form? Yes. That still had their abilities, what may seem like magic or godlike powers. It was simply because they were masters of energy manipulation, That's where right. they could seem to disappear, or they could have just been beaming up, <laughs> or being able to transmute things instantly. I mean, that's what you mean by the resurrection right. frequency. It's not limited to, well, you died and you came back to life. It is the regeneration and rebirth, that transmutation frequency, they all carried it. It was, ma it was magic. It was magic. It was truly magic, okay? It's what we call magic today. It's like, and, and 
and of course the Druid period, a lot of the 96 goddesses and their bloodlines were very, very involved in the whole Druid history. It was because of them that the Druids actually rose up and did high priestess and goddess work during that period of time. Now Merlin was part of that and he was he was a remnant of energies that was left from the god system from Greece. So the 96 goddesses left their bloodline on the planet. I'm going to get too graphic about that, but they had human husbands they, or did they just bring these children from the ship? Okay. When they started mating, the men that they would mate with, their bloodlines had been, um, in other words, they, they didn't just go out and find their husbands just by going out and looking around. No, they were, they were, they were, they were <laughs> sorry, <laughs> they were, they were picked in advance. See, they were holding bloodlines that they knew would help enhance the bloodlines that the the 96 were carrying. So when the uh, insemination started and the birthing of children happened, all of it was designed. All of it was designed. It was like selective breeding. It was selective breeding. It was. And, and they've done that many times on the planet. Well, arranged marriages on a galactic level. Yeah. So of the 96 goddesses, have some of them come back from time to time to check on their bloodline or to straighten up their bloodline? Back in 1983, when I went to Cairo, Egypt, and had that assignment inside of the Great Pyramid of Giza when the Pleiadians came, one of the things that they had instructed me to know about was that 200 goddesses had come back to the planet. Some of them had come as walk-ins, some as drop-bys, some as just hovering beings, but no one had been incarnated, I mean birthed, okay? Mm -hmm. But they came with special implants and devices and would hover over certain areas, certain people. There was a lot of walk-ins that had come from the Pleiadian ships on that November 17th, 18th, and 19th activation of 1983. So they were looking after them like there were like, I don't know, 9 or 10 or 11 people in the Cedar sinai Hospital in Los Angeles. And they were getting walk-ins. And these were high-profile people. So when the, the goddesses did come, they started tracking the walk-ins that they had placed in the people that were going to help the, the planet evolve. It became a very, whoo, it was a very, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? It was a, it was a long-range plan, and they had to come and supervise it, but not interfere. You know, it's like, how do you supervise with non-interference? They would have to blend their energies in such a way with the being that was inside of another being. I'm talking about the walk-ins now, to keep them on their time track but without giving them the additional information that was going to make it a violation, if I'm making myself clear about that. So they were temporary walk-ins? Yes, they were. And they only could be there for, I believe it was two and a half years that they were here. 
So, well, I, I can see with the non-interference directive that if you told someone too much, it could put them on tilt, and then you would not be leaving them better than you found them, and that would also be a, a violation. So I'm sure it was a very a tricky balancing act. It, it was a very tricky balancing act. So the bloodlines of the 96 goddesses are all over the planet. All over the planet. And the energy, the actual souls of the goddesses themselves are not here in physical form, but they stop by or, yeah. or drop in. Right. Yeah. From time to time. From time to time. Yeah. With certain people in their bloodline. I know that there has been some times when you were aware that Athena herself was overshadowing a very famous person. Do you want to talk about that? That was Elizabeth Taylor, yes. I got to watch uh, how they were working with the walk-in in Elizabeth. And because when she came out of the hospital in 83, it was within a couple of weeks, she started making the announcement about things that she was going to do for the AIDS project. And that's when she started her her foundation, and she became very, very involved in the AIDS movement. Yeah, and more politically active, maybe not politically, but, but socially. Right, right. You just saw it from the news. You weren't there in person with her when it happened. No, I was not there with her in person when it happened. But I watched her. I did watch her from a distance, and I would know when things were happening with her. I tracked her for all those many years, about 30 years that I've tracked some of her comings and goings, and it wasn't only from the news. I would simply have the information from the ship that was letting me know what was happening with her on the planet. Well, I know in one of our previous broadcasts, you told the story of going in, in Las Vegas and going to see her, and so you have actually been in the car in her presence. Yes. Mm-hmm. Once you are in someone's presence then you can continue to kind of follow them if the stakes are high enough and it's your assignment and, and all of that. So did it help tracking her? Yes, it did. When I met her, I did, I did not know that I would be connected to her later on. I had no idea. It was a situation that was created for me to be in her presence. And then years later, I got to figure it out. <laughs> well, I know you keep working on something until you do have it figured out. So you kind of touched on this next uh, question here, but is Yahweh, or had he been, Pleiadian? Yes, Yahweh was Pleiadian. So is Jehovah. Both of them are Pleiadian. And so therefore Jesus as well? Jesus as well. And all the Essenes, all the Essenes, they planned his birth 500 years before he came, and they planned it through bloodlines. So everybody that was in on the Jesus story all that was planned way ahead of time, even to the carpenters and to the people that made houses and served him food and made his clothing and made his sandals. Everything was planned way in advance. So he had frequency support all around him. Absolutely. I see. And I think you just did mention that the Pleiadians have jurisdiction over this planet because of their long history, their karma, the fact that they've got more starseed bloodlines here than any other race. That's true. So they have jurisdiction. It's not about jurisdiction so much as it is they have, there's more at stake for them. All the beings have jurisdiction. When I say all, there's 33 different species that conduct 
business aboard the starship Bethlehem. There's other starships that come in from Cirrus and Arcturus. So they all work in a federation. There's a federation and there's, a, and there's councils upon councils upon councils that meet and decide different things at different times. But because of the Pleiadians having more bloodlines on the planet than any other species, it's because they have the most that they have most at stake. Oh, it's like someone who owns more than 50% of the stock in a company right. yeah. has more to say. That's right. Okay. Yeah. That, that's that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add about the gods and goddesses, or can we go on to the next topic? You know, one of the lessons that I learned about the goddesses when they came to the planet to conduct experiments with different people, they showed me one that they had conducted over a 19-year period. And it had to do with the law and the lack of it. And 19 years of intense training in the West. When I'm talking about the West, it was after the Civil War. And there were all these men and women that were heavily involved in the North and South Civil War. And after it was over, they didn't have anywhere to go. They, they'd been shooting people and killing. And they were all just kind of on their horses, you know, going from town to town, and they were dissatisfied with what was happening. So they all went, a lot of them went west, and they went into these little communities, and a lot of them became cattle rustlers and, you know, like the Jesse James of the group. There's like 20 or 30 of them that started running around in the New Mexico, uh, Oklahoma, Texas area, and they really made names for themselves. But what happened was they were running these bloodline experiments from the ship and these goddesses would come down or the Pleiadian cosmonauts, either one, would come down and they would overshadow some of these characters and would create uh, situations that would have to be taken care of eventually by the law. It was a very complex um, experiment but one that I got to view and look at many, many years ago. And in my bank vault, I have written quite a bit about some of the characters that were in the Old West and how that some of them even had close contact with the female cosmonauts from the ship. Some of them went as far as getting drunk and going out and shooting people and taking their own lives because they couldn't handle and, that, and, and, of course, that was part of the experiment was to say, okay, what if we reveal ourselves to them? What will happen? Well, they just lost it. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> so they stopped that part of it. <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so what would happen is if, if a female cosmonaut needed to come down, she'd have to go in and dress up like maybe one of the ladies of the evening or a dancer or a bartender or a piano player. Miss Kitty. Yeah. Miss, Miss Kitty. Kitty. Yeah, Miss <laughs> Kitty. Yeah. And would conduct it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we had all these people after the Civil War that were emotionally distraught. A lot of people felt cheated and violated. Great tragedies on both sides. So they go west and they just started doing whatever they wanted to regardless of right. who it hurt. Right. So 
the Wild West, the outlaws, cattle rustling, and all the atrocities that happened was deliberately allowed. That's right. To get really, really so bad that... That it would have to be fixed, yeah. That it would have to be fixed. Yeah. It was so bad that you couldn't live with it anymore. Right. So out of total anarchy, lawlessness, and criminal behavior arose law and order, and that was over a 19-year period, uh, I believe you said, from from one eclipse to the next. Right. And then it was over. Right. It was successful. Very successful. In fact, we have, to this day, how many times have you seen a Jesse James movie being made over again and all the all the characters of the of the west we have a lot of western movies depicting these experiments of course they weren't revealed that way and when you add in the native americans mm-hmm. are some of the purest bloodlines of galactic pleiadian bloodlines and they were right in the thick of that right and a lot of the injustices and atrocities connected to Native Americans also helped to bring about the cure. Right. Yeah, it's almost like a vaccine where you have to take some of the germ in order to get over it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, another 19-year experiment, and they've done this several times, has to do with the Tesla kids. They decided to, in 1980, I, I went to Cripple Creek. A lot of people know this story. I went to Cripple Creek and bought an A-frame cabin, and people would come there and walk around my cabin, and, and I'd say, what are you doing here? And they say, oh, this is where Tesla caught lightning in a jar. And I'd say, well, who's Tesla? And, of course, then later I became so familiar with Tesla and all of his works that I I spent many, many years uh, working with these Tesla kids. I call them Tesla kids because... They all kind of look alike. They kind of all look like David Copperfield, and they all talk about free energy devices. They know they've been contacted by ETs. A lot of them have been abducted. Some of them have been contacted. They're very paranoid. They like to live alone out in the woods away from others. There's a whole group of them that I have found through the years, and they seem to run them on different 19-year experiments. So there's... 19 years when I saw a lot of them, and then the next 19 years, I didn't find very many of them. And then the next 19 years, then here they come again. I noticed that they come in waves. So I just wanted to mention that there are beings that are on the planet right now that do have the coatings and maybe not the bloodline, or could they could have the bloodline, but the same kind of information that Nikolai Tesla had when he was here on the planet has been given to these other beings on the planet now that are bringing um, n- new resources to the planet through free energy devices, ways to help our planet not be so polluted. They're very concerned about the air and the water and the conditions of the people on the planet. So I'm, I'm really... Uh, excited to see more and more Tesla kids rising up and making a stand. And although a lot of them have been killed for their inventions, and because of that I kind of dropped out for a couple of years because I, I noticed that they were being killed because they were trying to bring the truth to the planet about free energy. And 
some governments or some people that didn't want them to have them just decided to snuff them out. But I think that time is over now. I think that some of the Tesla kids are going to be able to step out, bring their inventions forward, and I don't think they'll be bothered. I don't think people will hurt them. I think they'll be, be welcoming them now because times have changed and I don't feel the persecution is going to happen so strong to them as before. Did I hear you say at one point that Tesla was a Syrian? Yes, he was from Cirrus. He was not Pleiadian. But he was, obviously, I mean, there were Syrians aboard the Pleiadian yeah, oh, mothership. Yes. and yes. And they don't really make the distinction between no. nationalities that no, we do. No, not, not really. They're just fifth dimensional or not. So you think Tesla, maybe his DNA or his his consciousness is in contact with these kids, why, why they look like him? They have some genetic connection? Well, it's it's not that they look so much like him. It's that this group seems to look like each other. Oh, I see. Yeah. It's like the way I've always identified them is with their eyebrows. And um, their, the way their hair, their hair and eyebrows and the way their forehead sits. There seems to be kind of like the boys from Brazil, that movie. <laughs> they just kind of, uh. they kind of all look alike. And, you know, one day... I was at a meeting in Manhattan up on the very top penthouse floor with glass all the way around, and I was giving a presentation uh, to this billionaire that I had had an appointment with, and I saw lightning coming, so I, I said to them, I said, oh, lightning's coming, and if you see my body jerking, just don't pay me any mind because I've been struck by lightning, and therefore I just kind of make these funny little sounds, so I thought I needed to do the disclaimer. So about that time, I was talking about the Tesla kids and my time with them. And then the man that I was sitting next to pointed to the elevator. And about that time, lightning struck a, a building across the street, which made me go, Oop, you know, make that funny sound. And then he points, and there stands David Copperfield at the elevator. And I'm the real David Copperfield. The, the real David Copperfield. And I, <laughs> oh my gosh! And, but here's what's so funny: the lightning strikes, and I say, and they and they all look like David Copperfield. And with that, he points to the elevator and he says, "And there he is." And I turned and looked, and there stood David Copperfield. And I was like totally freaked. I was totally freaked. And then finally, he laughed. And he says, "Oh, he lives in this building. Don't don't get alarmed." <laughs> Yeah, but he showed up at the right time. But he showed up at the right time, and I I really freaked. I did. I just, I could hardly breathe when that happened. And that, there I was in the middle of my presentation, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. I can, you know, I had to Yeah, stop. I try to keep you, <laughs> you know, on the cartoons when the, when the top of a guy's head comes off, yeah. you know, and you're trying to keep it, keep it all, your, keep it all together. Golly. Um, but, but who planned that? See, all that was, that was a demonstration of how things happen. It's like, for some reason, the lightning and me saying David Copperfield and then him pointing, all that was orchestrated. It had to be. Right. Right. But very few people would track it to the lengths that you do. Yeah, probably. You know, and it was just like, oh, he lives here anyway, so it's just a coincidence. Right. But, you know, yeah. you're talking about him, you're talking about Tesla, you're, the lightning strikes, and that's the moment he shows up. Right. You know, yeah, sure, he lived in the building, but what made him show up at that moment? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
<laughs> Are we ready to move on to the next topic sure. here? Sure, okay. sure. One of our past shows deals with trickster energies. And I just wanted to ask you if you had to experience dealing with tricksters to learn about them and to have mastership, or does anybody really have mastership? And is there a way that galactic tricksters could ever benefit us? Yes, and, and I, I pulled this in uh, with a request that I had one day. I said, you know, I need to know about all the different kinds of energies on the planet. I want to know about the good, bad, ugly, and different. I, I, I need to know what functions here. So I said, okay, we're going to give you training on trickster. And it may take you a few years to really get a handle on how trickster works. Well, it did take many years, and it took me 19 years, <laughs> there's that 19-year cycle again, to write what I wrote and delivered on the radio show, oh, I guess a couple of years ago, I think it's called Trickster. And I wrote Trickster from many points of view. And the reason that Trickster was so valuable to me was to know how people actually can say one thing and then actually turn and do something totally different. It gave me a training on the on polarity, on the power of opposites, and humorous too. There are tricksters that are, they just love to, to be a trickster just for the fun of it. And I know that the Native Americans, they use that as part of their medicine to train people. But I have found trickster to be something that really interferes with the evolution of a lot of people on the planet. If you take the time to play with trickster, then then you stop your momentum, you stop your evolution, just to be curious about how a trickster works. I have found that the experiences that I had through all those years finding out the different kinds of trickster that was uh, allowed to be on the planet actually has served me now to know about it because it gives me the insight to how trickster plays on the planet, especially through the New Age movement, through metaphysical people. I think that's been one of my biggest heartaches, is to see how trickster has been allowed to go in and just rip and tear a lot of New Age light workers and, and throw them against the wall and just make them sick and make them dysfunctional and just get them out of the game. Trickster can get you out of the game if you're not clued in to how trickster works. So I think it would be a good idea, if you have not heard the trickster episode, to go back and take a listen to that because they wear many faces and many different hats and almost all of them would be smiling. Yeah. <laughs> with one smiling with the front of their face. Anyway, why is it important to stay out of polarity and what does that mean? When you get into polarity with someone, then... You're in a battle for consciousness, I guess, or I'd say, I'm right, you're wrong. Once you get into that, I'm right, you're wrong, you're going to miss a lot of timing in your life to stop and be argumentative or try to prove yourself. I always say, you don't have to be right. You need to be on time. If you're on time with your life, then you don't have to be right. Think about that for a moment. You don't have to be right if you're on time. So I don't know what the real purpose for bathing in trickster for long periods of time can do for you. I wouldn't suggest doing what I did and ask for ever known energy on the planet to come show show themselves to you. That was oh was just 
that was just insanity on my part. Okay. Well, that reminds me of the time I, I took a bag of carrots out in the pasture in the dark with a bunch of horses out there. I didn't stop to think, and I was I was stampeded. <laughs> trying to run for the gate. <laughs> I, I just wanted to give a carrot to Tari. I didn't want, you know, but, oh, my gosh, they all came running in the dark. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, that's I just got that image. <laughs> you know, staying out of polarity keeps you in a in a safe and neutral position. Right. Because I remember I asked you about this once before years and years and years ago. And it's like if you're standing there with your gun out of your holster and you got your six gun, you know, just like the old west, when you got your gun drawn, there's going to be somebody there who wants to outdraw you. Yeah. If you keep your gun in the holster, then then you're not going to attract that opposition. And, you know, I'm finding with my clients, now people that call and, and want sessions with me, a lot of them have done a lot of work on themselves already, and, and they're stepping out of polarity. They're not engaging. They're observing, being the observant instead of the participant. They're not participating. They're saying, I'm drawing the line here. You can't uh, can't step across that line with me anymore because here's my boundaries, and I'm I'm just not engaging. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go where you're going because it's futile. And I'm saying a lot of people have already gotten that message because when I m- mention it to to clients of mine, they say, "Oh yeah, I'm already doing that. I'm already stepping aside. I'm stepping out of polarity." So I'm really congratulating our Starseed audience for for them. I don't have to tell them to step out of polarity. They seem to be doing it already on their own. I love that. Yeah. It's good for the team because for people who are in polarity and they're engaged in in that I'm right, you're wrong battle, all they're doing is feeding their adversary with their own energy by staying focused on it. So it's really kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Right. If you want to move forward and upward, then you can't be focused on the on the whirlpool, the drain, you know, on the toilet that makes you go down. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. So I've heard you use the term suit up. What is suit up and when is it a good idea? I use the term suit up when something of major concern is happening, like if someone calls me and tells me that a friend of theirs is is in a car accident and on the way to the hospital and would I please assist or what could I do for that person at that time what I do it at that moment I'll hang up the phone and and I'll just suit up my my whole energy field I'll just go to a, a frequency of attunement of myself and I build an energy it's a, like an energy ball around me and I, it's like I power up. I power up and I simply then go to a very relaxed position. I don't stay, I'm not on an adrenal high is what I'm telling you. It's like right. I power up and then I go very, very soft in myself. And then usually I'll send what I call my galactic secret service team to go to that area. But suiting up for me means I go to another frequency. I I completely surround myself with a ball of energy that keeps other frequencies from interfering with what I'm doing. When I suit up, it means nobody else gets to make the call except me at that moment, knowing who I am, what I'm going to do, and how I'm going to do it, whatever the assignment is. 
you're the only cook in the kitchen. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, and that's the only way you can really be sure that the energy is, or that the frequency is on key, on pitch. Right. But what I'd like to say is, a lot of people, when an emergency happens, what they'll do is drop down. They'll drop their energy down and want to receive something from God, okay? This is what I do not do. I power up. I go up. I don't let my energy go down. I don't go into a subservient position and pray for a gigantic being to come and fix the problem. No, I power up and make my whole energy pattern go very high up in in consciousness, and I get very strong and very firm. And then I send the signal out to the ship to go and take care of it. And that's how I do the work. Part of suiting up for me is actually like the old-time knights putting on the the chain mail and the coat of armor and getting all of your energy kind of collected and focused, but it's more than just wearing your ready-for-business clothing. Right. It's an energy that you collect and turn up. And I know that in this work that you do, you have come across or you have come up with some great sayings. And I would just like to reiterate a few, which I know that we've said many times on the airs, but one of my very favorites is energy doesn't lie only people do right and another of my favorites of yours is there are only two kinds of energy up spiral and down spiral right but one of my earliest questions was how do you know if someone is from your team or not well it doesn't take long to find out who's giving you information or who's leading you down the path because pretty soon they'll reveal themselves. When people give you roses, you know it. When they give you thorns, you know it. So I always say, look at the body count. You know, sometimes you look at these this new age movement and you see a lot of people that are really going to the extremes with lectures and getting thousands of people to follow them and all kinds of mystical energies are out there playing with people. But the long and the short of it, look at the body count. How many people are laying down? How many people are sick? How many people can get on with their life after they come in contact with these so-called masters or gurus or people that are out there really plugging for spiritual advancement, but at the same time, are they responsible for the bodies that are laying down? I mean, look behind and see how many people have gone into destruction because of, of their energies. Yeah, well, what you had mentioned a little earlier about the the metaphysical New Age community is really ripe with people who do not really belong in that community, uh, but they're like wolves scrounging right, and right. and trying to capture energy and alignment. And yes. another another saying of yours that I just love: "There is no competition for alignment." No, there isn't. A person either stands by you of their own free will. Or they don't. But you can't... Yeah, no competition. You have never, you have never tried to compete with anybody. No. They either resonate with your work and the truth that you have presented, or they don't. And back again, you don't need to be right about this. No. And I'd say you are on time. <laughs> you know, several politicians that I have worked with in the past, they'll say, well, what do you think? What do you think I ought to do? I always come back with... You don't have to be right. You just need to be on time. And they go, 
okay, I got it now. And then they'll go off and remember it for about a week, and then they'll make some, <laughs> some, some big decision that puts them into hot water. Then they're calling me again, and then I'll say, okay, did you try to be right about that, or were you on time? They said, yeah, I tried to be right. I said, well, focus on being on time instead of being right. So finally, after several years, I finally got, <laughs> finally got that across. You don't have to be right. You just have to be on time. So when you tune into a person's chart, what happens to you? Well, the first thing that happens, I have a little headset on. I'm on Skype. I'm looking at their chart um, on my computer. I'll hear their voice in my ear. And those two things opens up a file in my head. And a third energy kind of comes in. And it's like a galactic tracking device of some kind that takes me to their cosmic bank account and that's where I look at their credits and their debits and the, the pattern that will show in the chart will show me how many credits and debits they have and I may not focus on their debits because if I give them enough information about their credits then they can certainly turn around and take care of their debits but what happens to me is that I start attuning to the person actually the the day before, I will send the charts to be printed out. And the minute I do the charts, it's like there's some kind of invisible energy that starts working with that person 24 hours before I ever have the session. And it's kind of an interesting thing that happens because when I start uh, saying hello to the person and I hear their voice, then, then all that has happened in the last 24 hours of tracking seems to come front and center. And sometimes I'll get two or three different channels that'll come on all at once. And it's like all three of them want to play at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I have to go, okay, calm, I have to calm down each one of the channels and put them on hold so that I can hear that. that sometimes it'll be a symbol or maybe it'll be a color or maybe there'll be a whole line of information about their bloodlines. But I don't need for it to happen all at once. So I'm still kind of working with how the information is, is passed on to me or delivered to me. I'm still trying to get a handle on how to stop all the, the other chatter that's coming in at the same time mm -hmm. that I'm trying to talk to someone. And I've pretty well got that nailed down now. Uh, these, these next questions are just kind of quick one-liner kind of questions. Should you be careful of the telephone when you're in the middle of a high assignment? There have been times when I have disobeyed and gotten myself on a telephone when I was told not to. And, of course, I always have to learn the hard way. <laughs> so what can happen is if I'm really, really focused on a particular assignment and I want to keep it cloaked from prying eyes, the minute that I pick up a telephone and answer it, from you know say anyone there can be an, an energy that will jump on that frequency and travel to my brain and it it'll be sometimes it'll act like an eraser it will go in and just kind of mess with my brain to where I can't even remember what I'm doing and once I found out that could happen I, I, I said my goodness I, I, I have to be very very careful about how to use these technologies because it's like a 
it's like a software virus that can be attached to someone's voice on a phone and come to my head and it, it'll be like a scrambler in my brain and once I discovered that that was out there then I just don't get on the telephone when I'm when I'm doing something very important or something that I definitely don't want to be messed with about the people that that would be calling you could be completely innocent oh absolutely they had no idea no idea no idea that they can be they can be used yeah piggybacking something to kind of throw a monkey wrench in your mm-hmm. in your assignment or whatever whatever thing you were working on right and it's probably as bad or worse with cell phones isn't it oh it's terrible i have a cell phone that i that i keep for traveling but i that's the only time i use it i just really do not care for cell phones and the cell phone towers and in fact i am uh, going to be having someone come on our show to talk to us about the electromagnetics that are hurting the people on the planet and i'm trying to find that person right now so we'll have someone coming on and telling us all the new things that he's found out about cell phones cell phone towers the technology the the mass influence that we have now on the planet that's really hurting a lot of people's health and how it's destroying our kids you know these kids are sleeping with their cell phones and their and their brains are not forming properly because of it Oh, I could go on and on about this. Oh, I know. We could we could talk for three hours just on cell phones and and why they're dangerous. But we're going to go on with more galactic questions. Okay. You had mentioned that the Pleiadians are thirty five hundred years ahead of us, but they're not the most advanced. Are there some that are farther than that? Oh, of course. But it's not really important to even talk about the beings that are beyond the Pleiadians. It's, it wouldn't serve us to even talk about it. No, we can't no. even comprehend. No, we can't even comprehend them. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and and you had also um, mentioned that there are 33 different species aboard the Star of Bethlehem. Right. Which is also, I mean, that's what they call it on the Earth, but it's TX11. Right. TX11 okay. is one of the terms for the ship. Right. Okay. So why should people take dreams with a grain of salt? Well, there's different forms of spiritual evolution on the planet. Now, dreams can mean a lot to a lot of different people that are intuitive, precognitive, or just starting out learning about their spiritual development. But as a person climbs the ladder of consciousness and starts being taken aboard ships at night, what they'll do is they'll give you a dream sequence and you'll come back and you'll think that that's what happened to you in your dream sequence. I mean, the dream won't be real. They'll be It's given to you. It's not something that you manufacture on your own. So um, I take with a grain of salt people that tell me about their dreams because some of them will be self-generated by that person. But if they're really advanced and being taken aboard ships or if they're going to these Teton meetings in inside the mountain in Wyoming, then they're given um, screen dreams, is what I call them. It's like watching a movie that, yeah. that you didn't write. That's right. So that that's why I say, is it real or is it Memorex? Yeah. I mean, if someone had a, a dream that was very disturbing and it had no figuring it out or no ulterior kind of underlying meaning, 
it, it is possible that that you intercepted a screen dream right so why do you think that so many people think they were Cleopatra or Mary Magdalene you touched on this a little bit earlier that they were having DNA memory we've had um, a guest on the show named Craig Campobasso who talked about the the history what did he call them discs or coins history coins yeah does that yes that explains a lot yeah when people are given well i know when i first started going aboard ship and they placed me in this chair and they put this headset on me and they would download just volumes of information within minutes and some of them would come out right away but then some of them they don't come out until later it's like they're a time release capsule and that's what happens in your bloodlines. They'll give you time-release capsules in your bloodline. And if you happen to be activated in the, in the times of Rome or Cleopatra or whatever period of time that you think you are, then that's what happens. You go, oh, then I'm it. If, I, if I'm thinking about it, if I, if I feel that I'm this person, I must be because the thought came to me. And... Actually, it's just part of a pattern that's happening to millions of people uh, all over the planet. And maybe it, it happens at the same time. You know, sometimes they'll, they'll take the ships and they go back and forth, back and forth with their rays of energy. And, and it will activate certain programs at certain times. So people that just wake up and go, okay, I'm, I'm Mary Magdalene today. And... I'll get a whole lot of emails that will say that. They'll say, oh, I woke up and I got the message from Mary or Jesus talked to me or uh, I, I had a dream, you know, of going aboard the ship and there was, it, it's like you never know where this is going to come from. <laughs> Every day that I go mm-hmm. to the computer and look at emails and find the experiences from other people, um, I track them on so, so many different levels because so many different levels of people are awakening to their spiritual divinity. And some of them jump overnight. Some of them takes a long time to get there. But eventually, everybody will get there. Everybody will be awakened to know what's happening for them uh, and their place in the scheme of things on the planet. And that's what people want to know. People want to know, well, what am I doing here? And how can I make my life better? And the thing that I'm finding in people's charts is that they have so many masterships that are just sitting over there, and they're not accessing them. They don't even know they have them. And it's like riding a bicycle. Once you've ridden a bicycle, you never forget how to ride a bicycle. I don't care how old you get or how long it's been since you've ridden one. It all comes back to you. Same thing with past masterships from other lifetimes. So those are the things that I try to acknowledge and to instill into people when I do sessions is to reactivate their masterships. Because once those are reactivated in their DNA patterns, in their consciousness, even for them to say, oh, you mean I have that? Just the, the acknowledgement that they may have something more than they thought they had gives them the hope and gives them the, the tractor beam of going forward with something pretty spectacular in their lives. You just need to get kind of like a, just a little crack where it starts seeping mm-hmm. through. Right. So was King Arthur a real person? Yes. And so was Merlin. All those characters were, were real. Very real. 
and they had different timelines, but I don't really want to go into that <laughs> about the timelines, but they had pretty well put on the island of Avalon and they had conducted these experiments with with the god and goddesses and the druids and this is when they really wanted to fine-tune the magic was during that period of time and there, of course there were violations and there were times when they had to shut it down and times when they had to bring it back you bring it back shut it down bring it back shut it down that's been a theme ever since Atlantis it just now occurred to me that this seemed like the King Arthur and Merlin area was a a connection kind of threading together the Druids, the Jesus and Mary Magdalene, magic, and it, almost a unification of the old religion and Christianity. And that goes all the way back to Atlantis. But here's the kicker, is that he was a experiment with the bloodline of Jesus. He was part of that whole bloodline from the Star of Bethlehem. It was a whole plan that was going to be coming to the planet. He was part of that whole plan. It's like he didn't have the bloodline of Jesus. I shouldn't say it that way. He was part of that bloodline that streamed streamed into the the bloodline that became Jesus. Let me say it that way. He was a part of the tree. Right, he was part of the tree. The family tree. Mm-hmm. His bloodline and Jesus's bloodline came from a, a similar or same right. point. At one, if you go back far enough, they would converge. Right, right. But not that Arthur was the great great grandson. No, 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 nothing like that. More like great great grandfather. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. And were they ETs in human form? Not exactly. Not not in the way that you. No, I. Not in the no, way I'm asking. No, no, not no. They were designed to be human form, but they had they had a, a higher consciousness. Okay. So now I want to talk about off the planet, because from time to time, I'm sure people have heard you refer to the Antares Arcturus Midway Station. Is this a physical place? Yes, it's a physical place, and it's a place where all the huge motherships go and dock, and, and they have huge council meetings. And it's called the Antares Arcturus Midway Station. And uh, it's where other beings uh, from other universes come to have meetings also. It's not just this universe. It's other universes that are attracted to the Midway Station. And it, it's from here that a lot of co-creation is taking place when they decide to make planets and to move planets and to move things that's beyond our comprehension. And it's my understanding that because this is a physical space station, it was named after the Antarians and the Arcturians because were they not the engineers that designed it? Yes, they were. But the people or the the beings that that come and go from there, that operate from there, that work from there, they come from all over, don't they? Yes, they're from all over. That's part of the Federation. Okay. And are they also multidimensional? Beyond fifth dimension? Yes. A lot of them are all dimensions. All dimensions. And they are the ultimate good guys. Yes, the ultimate good guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's the home of the Great White Brotherhood. Yes. And the Crystal Brotherhood. Right. And while we're on that topic, the two e-books that we have in our vault, 
were transmissions from a being aboard the Midway station. Right. One's called 50 Questions and Answers, and it, they're just profound questions and answers. And the other one is, is more about the proper care and use of crystals from the Crystal Brotherhood. So that is the story on the Antares Arcturus Midway Station. I've seen some photos from time to time that make me think of the Arcturians kind of like the Vulcans, very intellectual, very cerebral, very dispassionate and scientifically advanced. Is that, it's kind of neither here nor there. No, but that's true. That's true. Yes, they're more Spock. Yeah, they're more like Spock. Yeah. Yeah. They're more like Spock. Okay. And Gene Roddenberry, by the way, you know, of course, not only was he Starseed, uh, before he came to the planet, he chose to come to be the writer of the things that would be happening aboard ship and in space. All that he knew that he was going to do before he ever came to the planet. And once he came to the planet, they were in concert with him, giving him these different packets, these thought packets that would release at different times so that he could actually write about the true history of things that had actually happened out in space. Wow. I have been the biggest Star Trek fan on the planet for a long, long time, and now it makes more sense. Yeah. When you were receiving the transmissions for 50 Questions and Answers, the ebook. You were using, I mean, this was before computers, you were using a brother typewriter, I think you said. So tell us what happened about the ribbon, the typewriter ribbon. Well, I ran out of ribbon, and it just kept typing. I mean, I typed without ribbon. (laughs) It's like I didn't realize it. See, I didn't realize that the, the ribbon was out because I just kept typing. And then when I looked and saw that I'd been typing without ribbon, then I knew something very spectacular had just happened <laughs> because the, the type was on the, on the paper and there was no ribbon. Yeah, and the, if I remember that particular typewriter, once it was gone, it was gone. Yeah. It's not like you could keep ringing oh, yeah. out a few more pages. Yeah. yeah, it was that brother typewriter. It acts differently than, yeah. yeah. Well, it was a cartridge, yeah. 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 But I, I remember when you told me about that, that the typewriter ribbon just magically working even though it was used up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God. Those are the times when you just, you know, you're in the zone of some kind, a galactic zone for sure. I have just a few more questions here for you, and they're kind of just general. Aren't most ETs benevolent with great love and high integrity? I would say that most of them are. There's a few renegades. There's a few bad apples always, you know, in in different species. Because they choose to be, they have free will choice. But in the long and the short of it, most of the beings that are here to observe us and to help us are here for our best interest and will not step across that line to hurt our people or our planet. What are they doing, if anything, about the reptilians? Well, a lot of the reptilians have been taken off the planet. A lot of Zetas have been reprimanded for some of their abductions, and some of that's been slowed down. As Some people say that it's stopped, but I'm not quite sure about that because I still get information from different people at different times telling me about still about their abduction so I'm not sure that it stopped yet but the meetings that take place all have to do with getting the people ready for this disclosure that's going to be happening not from the governments but from them because they'll be coming down in this next year and we had a our friend Tom was on our show last week talking about 
the Pleiadians would be the ones to come in 2015. And I really do feel like that that will be happening because they're humanoid looking. And so they won't be shocking, shocking as some of the other beings that could shock a lot of people like the praying mantis, the insect beings or beings that just don't look like us. And look, look at the problems that we're having with race on the planet now. So can you imagine what would happen if some insect-looking beings came <laughs> and tried to interface with earthlings at this time? So they have to be humanoid in their appearance. And even then, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with a lot of people on the planet because this is going to be the biggest event that's happened on our Earth for a very, very long time. It will definitely change the way we conduct life here once the consciousness comes to the planet that there are other beings and the beings are here and have been for a long time and the bloodlines are all over the planet that extend from their species. Once that's common knowledge, it changes everything, everything on the planet. Yeah, <laughs> we've had a few Star Trek episodes about that exact thing, first contact. Right. So most star seeds have an urgent feeling about a mission, but they can't remember it. And is that because our common mission, the one that we all, all of us have, is simply to be here now and help to elevate the consciousness on the planet? Can it be that simple? It can be that simple because a lot of people just come for that reason. Everybody comes for a different reason. We have so many different programs running that some people come to advance their bloodlines some people come to advance the animal species to help with the animals on the planet. Others are here for the flora and fauna. Everyone has something that they want to specialize in or something they want to be a part of. I mean, if we all wanted to be the same thing, our planet couldn't function. So we're all born with abilities to be creative and to take care of each other and to, to know how the cosmic laws work and how the earth laws work and how to bring heaven to earth and that's what we're about now so just being here and living your normal 3d life from day to day with as much love and grace and and just hold that frequency as brightly as you can that is the mission for a lot of star seeds but what i'm finding is it's not enough for them everybody's saying it's not enough that I'm holding the light I want to know more and I want to connect with my people there seems to be an urge now to find their soulmates to find other people like themselves and that's why I have talked about that galactic GPS locator in people's heads now because they're turned on and they're beeping silently and they're attracting other beep beeps you know it's like it's a homing device for soulmate contacts and soul group contacts so the more that you ask for information more if you start saying I really want to find my soul group I want to find my soul group once you start focusing on that then your soul groups will start showing up either on email on the phone at lectures at the starseed quest that we have in Arkansas you never know where they're going to come from but once you start asking for it and really mean it that's when your life changes. You're, you go in a different direction because you're now focused on finding more and more people like yourself so that your energies can come together and combine 
so that you can take the evolution to a higher frequency. And isn't it also true that if you get enough star seeds together that, that there is even a third result of activating each other, turning each other's uh, volume up, so to speak? Absolutely. Yeah, so it starts to compound and compound. Right. So, and that, I think, has probably really been um, emphasized since December of 2012, don't you? Yeah, because after the Mayan calendar time it came to an end, it seems that we had upgrades in our system, and overnight we just could sense an urgency that time was going faster, that we were speeding up with our consciousness, and people really started searching for each other and searching for information. I mean, how many people do we know since 2012 that have become information junkies? I mean, they just can't get enough of information about everything. They spend hours and hours on their computers. They're hurting their health by doing that, by the way. But something in them won't stop. They can't stop themselves from going on Google and, and searching and looking at YouTubes. And I mean, people are just, they're hungry for the truth. That's what it is. They're just hungry for the truth. Well, sure. Well, you know, every time I wake up, I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the same thing, isn't it? Right. You know, when you wake up, you're hungry. Yeah. And finding each other working together, accepting each other, getting beyond polarity and standing in support of the planet, of the environment, of each other, knowing your own truth. This is all part of what has really been accelerating since since 2012. That's right. So I've, I've gotten to the end of my questions here and I'm, I'm looking at the time. So if there was anything that you would like to say in conclusion... Yes, I'd like to talk just uh, briefly about the Teton meetings. Uh, there are some things that happen at these Teton meetings that I, I'm not allowed to talk about. But I do want to say that in the next six months, for people that are really working on themselves, find out what you're most fearful about. Look at, look at yourself and say, what do I fear the most? Because you need to take care of whatever is sitting on the shelf ready to jump down and bite you. Because if you have a fear, then it has you already. So you need to find out the places in you that will knock you off your center. Because there will be things that will be happening in the next couple of years where you don't have time to get knocked off your center because of some fear pattern that that you haven't taken care of. Maybe it comes from childhood. Maybe it comes from parents. Maybe it comes from, well, who knows where it comes from. But acknowledge in yourself the places where you're vulnerable. And the minute you find out where you're vulnerable, find ways of taking care of it. Either erase it, transmute it, have someone help you with it. But it needs to change before you step into your true power because the things that will be coming down for us on the planet in the next couple of years, you need to have that taken care of so that no matter what happens, your system will not take the jolt. Nothing will hit your fear button. That's very useful and helpful insight. And certainly, you know, everybody's got something 
and it, it is always good to take a look at that even if it's not fun yeah because it's easier to deal with it at, with your choosing yeah than having to deal with it when you weren't uh, you know when it just kind of blows up in your face right so it's always better to deal with something with your own timing that's right well lavender I want to thank you so much for sharing your enormous wisdom knowledge and experiences with us and we will have from time to time more interviews with lavender as uh, as we come up with more questions and I just want to thank everyone for listening from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy and we will see you next week until then stand in your own light and then share it with others been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.